So this term, um, we are looking at hope here at Zio. And we're going through stories of both the Old Testament and the New Testament in church at home and in... Um, oh, and he's taking a picture of me. And... <laughs> Why? Why is it always this angle? Have you ten chins? Okay. And we're going through it and seeing those who have gone before us and their experiences. And last week at Church at Home, has, has, who's seen the Church at Home from last week? You could have seen my ten chins there as well. We've looked at the story of God's people. When they had left behind um, and escaped the slavery of Egypt and were on the run to the promised land, they came to the edge of the Red Sea. And the Egyptians, who were so mad, all their firstborn sons had died, had been killed, and they didn't have people to do all the rubbish jobs for them. They were left and they were on their tail and God's people were trapped. And they panicked and they were scared and they didn't know what to do. Who else feels like they would have had those feelings in that situation? I definitely do. Um, and we thought about having hope when we are feeling trapped, remembering that God has done so much in our lives before already, remembering how far God has brought us and how we are only able to carry on because it is God who gives us strength and sustains us. But this week, we're going even further on that journey of hope. Today, we're thinking about having hope when things don't change. Having hope when things don't change. And this isn't something that's light to talk about. It isn't easy to think about. It's hard, especially if you are going through the mill right now and God doesn't seem very present. It's hard because maybe you've lost a loved one and it feels like it's too late because that situation can never be turned around. It can never change. So today, before we start and before we look at scripture, I want us to pray. I want us to pray that we would be open to God and what he has to say about hope, about having hope in him, especially when we feel like nothing has changed, did change, or will change, that that would be released. So let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning knowing that for so many there is pain in this area. But Lord God, as we were talking earlier, as we were Upstairs praying this morning and Pam had that vision of you just raining down. We pray, Lord God, Holy Spirit, rain upon us now. Rain upon us with your healing, Holy Spirit, with the beauty that you give, that there is freedom in Christ. Lord God, we want to break chains this morning. We don't want to be stood in the mud and the mire of feeling like hopelessness. But Lord God, we want freedom and that freedom of hope in you always. Jesus, would you break chains this morning? Amen. So I'm reading um, from 2 Corinthians and it is chapter 12, verse 12 onwards. And I'm reading from NLT, if you want to follow. Paul's vision and his thorn in his flesh. The boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. 
Whether I was in body or out of body, I do not know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows where I was in my body, in or out. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I, don't, I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to, tor to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, that is when I am strong. For when I am weak, that is when I am strong. And Paul talks about boasting at the beginning of this passage. And it got me thinking, sometimes maybe we get a bit confused about giving thanks and praise, enjoying our blessings and boasting. We often think, oh, maybe I should stay quiet about this because otherwise it looks like I'm being a bit boastful. Have you ever felt like that before? I have, definitely. Or other people can't help but show off. Have we met show-offs? Have we occasionally been show-offs ourselves? Sometimes, isn't it? The definition of boasting is to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions or abilities. And Paul makes the differentiation. He tells us that he had an experience. He tells us that he had this mystical experience of God. And that was simply a fact. No arguments. It was a fact. He had it. He could have gone around boasting about it. But because it was true, he'd had that experience where other people hadn't. And we have that in our lives, don't we? We experience things. We have blessings that other people don't. And yet Paul says, what would be the purpose in that? It would only be to glorify himself and not the Father. It would only to be to say, look, I'm so great that God gave me this experience. And he doesn't want to point to himself. He wants to point to God. The world likes to boast, doesn't it? Would you agree? And social media, mm -mm, it does not help, does it? Social media loves a boast. There's something about having the newest tech, the designer clothes, the best holidays, the perfect family, the best group of friends, all the best trips to go and see comedy in the theatre. It's a mask, though. It's a mask, and it's a lie. Nobody's life is perfect. Not one person that has ever been on this earth has not suffered and had to endure at some point. Even Christ, who was perfect and did nothing wrong, had to suffer and endure at times. And that is a consequence of sin. When sin entered the world, it meant we live in a fallen world. 
And we all live in the consequences of that. And let's be honest, guys. <laughs> Boasting isn't reserved for the world. It also goes on in church. But boasting leads to arrogance. It leads to pride. When we are boastful, it's saying, like, we've got it all made. Life's rubbish doesn't stick on us. I had to be really careful with the wording of that, because I would definitely use another word normally. <laughs> it's saying, I am better than you lot. Boasting doesn't leave room for humility. And humility is so important. Humility, being humble, it can be seen as a weakness, can't it, by the world? And yet, it is so freeing. Humility is knowing yourself and it's knowing God. It's putting him in the rightful place as Lord over your life at all time. Arrogance and pride lead to self-righteousness, criticalness of others. We can look down on people who aren't, in our opinion, as good as us or as worthy as us. We can have superiority that we must have done something better to be in the position that we are in. In humility, we can know how far we've come and yet how easy it is to fall right back down again. We have compassion and a heart to forgive. We seek to celebrate and lift others up. As Christians, we thank God for how far he has brought us to this point and we count our blessings in him. Being humble it don't mean that we don't celebrate the good times. When things go well, when we've worked hard at them, when we've got our certificates from college and we've got our degree, when we've got our new job, it's about not thinking that we're better off or that God has blessed us because we're better than anyone else. If we live in boasting when we get fawns, where is the room for our reliance on God? If we continue to live in boasting, when we do get those thorns in our life, where's the room for our reliance on God and not ourselves? Paul goes on to talk about thorns in his life. He was humble enough to know that even he, who was a sold-out Christian, who went to prison for Christ, even he was not beyond suffering. And when I was reading about Paul's thorn in his side... Um, Morgan was with me and she helped me at work this week, so she was good, as I was reading out loud because I like to out loud process. And I was looking at all these different theories and does anyone else do this? You start on Google and then you get down a hole. Anyone else? I am, I've got some issues with it, guys, because I can tell you a lot of useless information about nothing. Pub quiz, pick me. I will be awesome. It's, apart from that, no reason. And when I was reading about all the things that it might be, um, lots of people were saying, well, maybe it was because he was being um, sought after. And this, the, this particular story is when Paul had to escape, you know, um, in a basket over the wall. And then lots of people were saying, well, maybe it was like malaria or something like that of the day. And other people think it was spiritual. It was a spiritual attack. But I really like the theory and I think this is intentional, that Paul didn't name what his thorn was because it wasn't important. It just wasn't important. What was important is the spiritual relevance of this thorn. The fact that he had something going on in his life that was kicking his butt at that moment. It don't matter what's going on in so-and-so's life or what's going on in that person's life. It matters that something is going on and that they need that break in. This week, um, 
as I was reading and I was reminded that even Jesus had thorns. Even Jesus had thorns. And when his death was imminent, he calls out to God. In Matthew 26, it says, Jesus went down a little further and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Yet, I want your will to be done and not mine. Do we all have thorns in our lives? I think we do, actually. And so I just encourage you to maybe close your eyes for a minute. Let's just be quiet. And let's actually, in our hearts, name those thorns to God. Often, we can't even bring ourselves to acknowledge exactly what it was that it is in our side. Sometimes it's hard to say, I haven't got any hope on that, God. I don't know where you are on this situation. And for others of us, we're very aware of what our thorns are. And we plead every day with God for them. And yet nothing has seemed to move. But in the quiet right now, just name them to God. Just like Jesus named his. Okay, let's come back into Thorns in our life aren't good, and yet they are a reality. But they can also lead to something beautiful, a lessening of relying on ourselves and instead a reliance on the Almighty. Paul wasn't able to do his life in his own strength. He had to rely on God and in God at all times. Paul had to rely on the grace of God. Paul tells us that God tells him something, that he is allowing his thorn to remain. When I think about that, when I think about Paul and I think about all that he did, about his conversion, who knows, maybe this experience was when, he, um, when Jesus met him on the road. We don't know. But Paul had this amazing experience. He had gone from persecuting God's people, stoning them, calling them out, And yet he'd had this transformation. He'd met Jesus and he was sold out for him. He dedicated his whole life to Jesus, to spreading Jesus's hope, to spreading the hope message of Jesus. And yet he was ill. He was sought after. People wanted to kill him. People wanted to put him in prison. They did put him in prison. People looked down upon him because all of the other um, apostles, they didn't have jobs. People supported them as they went along. And yet Paul, he was a tent maker. He was a tent maker. You know when you say something? He was a tent maker and he made his own money. He was different. He wasn't the same as everyone else. He was sold out for God in supporting himself for God. And yet he had thorns. And I wonder if Paul was like, God, why? Why? Why do you do this to me? What is going on? And yet God tells him he's allowing that thorn to remain. Jesus, when crying out to his father to take away his cup of suffering, he said, only if it's your will, God. And Jesus taught us how to pray, didn't he? And so we're going to recite the first bit of that prayer today. Are you all ready? 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, your will be done. We pray that, don't we? I mean, most of us knew that to recite it straight away, off by heart. And yet, that is a powerful prayer, isn't it? Your will be done. I often pray, and I don't know if you do, less of me and more of you, God. God. Less of me and more of you. But are we prepared for the reality of that? Your will be done. Less of me and more of you, God. Okay, I want us to be honest. For some of us, we're going to have to take ourselves way back for a long time. For some of us, maybe we've not even given our life yet. But I want you to think about when you gave your life to following Christ, if you have, did you think that that meant that things would get better? I did. I'm going to be honest. I was 14 and I thought, God's got this now, girl. You're going to be all right. It's hard, isn't it, when actually that isn't always the reality. Our lives aren't always made perfect. God gives us amazing blessings. I don't take away from that. He frees us from the bonds of sin. He gives us a promise of eternal life. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we aren't doing anything on our own. And he gives us awesome blessings. But also, maybe we think we're going to get the jobs we want. Our dreams of family fulfilled. For healing to happen. For financial difficulties to become a thing of the past. And yet the reality is that sometimes when we pray, the answer's no. God hears our prayers, but he isn't a magician waving some magical wand and granting all our wishes and all our desires. Okay, so this is a bit of an old film. Do you remember the film Bruce Almighty? Okay, I want hands up. Do you remember it? So I can see. Okay, a lot of you know it. Okay, good. So do you remember Bruce Almighty? God had given him the job of being God for a bit. Does that make sense? God had given him the job of being God for a bit. And all of a sudden, Bruce starts hearing all of these voices. And it is so overwhelming to him. And it's all the people praying. It's all the people praying. And so to make life easier for himself, he um, first of all, he says, no, I need to sort this. And so he suddenly puts all of these prayer requests into a filing cabinet. And he goes, no, 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 that's taking up too much room. And then all of a sudden, he decides to have them all on post-it notes. And no, that's taking up too much room and he can't handle it either. And so then he decides to put it in email. And you know how old the film is by the type of box screen that they've got on the computer. And he decides to put it all in email. And even in that, it's just so overwhelming for him and he can't deal with it. And so he decides to just say yes. He just says yes to every prayer request, every heart's desire, every dream that everyone's got. He just says yes. And at first, he's like, oh, this is so good. Yeah, wow. But he quickly discovers that it isn't a great idea. <laughs> for yes to everything and everyone. And soon, disaster ensues. I'm really glad that that isn't the reality of God. He is not overwhelmed by us. He does not have to put us in filing cabinets or emails or post-it notes. He has time and he has space for all of us. He wants to hear from us. He loves us. And yet sometimes 
He don't answer us in the way that we want him to answer us. Paul submitted to God and asked him to take away the thorn in his life. But God said he weren't going to do that. Instead, when Paul came to God in his weakness, in his inability, in his pain, it was compensated by God with his strength and his power and his grace. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't mean we are guaranteed an easy life. It doesn't mean God's going to wave his magic wand. And yet, we do not need to be without hope. We are not without hope. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus wants us to go to him. He wants us to rest on him. He wants us to take our burdens and replace them with his lightness. When God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient, or in the... um, Translation I read today, my grace is enough. It's four words. My grace is sufficient. My God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who holds everything that has ever existed and will ever exist in the palm of his hands. Grace, God's favour, which isn't I'll make it better for you or make you better than anyone else or give you more favour than anyone else. It's an exchange for my sins, for his righteousness. My sins, for his righteousness. My brokenness, for his wholeness. Is. It's not what was or what's to come. It is just is now. And sufficient. Jesus satisfies. He isn't just enough. He is enough. God is love. Grace is at the very nature of God. He does not abandon us. He does not forsake us, not for one second ever. And yet sometimes, let's be honest, it feels like it. Sometimes we're calling out to God and we are not getting any response. We're desperate and yet there seems to be silence. We look around and it seems like every other person is getting their prayers heard and answered in some way. But comparison is a thief. I've been reminded of it recently, that you have not got a clue what is going on in someone else's life. But what if you aren't comparing your life to someone else's? Yours just sucks. You know that God loves you. You know that his grace is sufficient enough. You know his mercies from the past. But right now, you don't see a way out. You haven't got any hope, or the bit you have is quickly diminishing. Even those who don't confess to believe in God, even in their desperate times, they call out to him, don't they? They cling to the hope of what they don't know. In times when things aren't changing, in times when hope is dwindling, in times when it just feels like giving up, this is exactly when we need to not depend on just being a good Christian who goes to church. It's about not relying on the fact that I'm a member of Zio. Joining Zio, it don't save us, does it? Only Christ saves us. And as we were upstairs praying this morning, guys, I encourage you, 9.30 till 10, we're now praying in the upper room here. Please come and join us. It was awesome this morning. 
I was really reminded of, um, I was prompted, Holy Spirit loves to prompt, about sharing something. And actually, I wasn't going to share it. I'd thought about it. It's quite painful for me, which is why I struggled. God said, no, share it. A thorn in our side can be for years. For me, um, and I just want to share this, just because I want to say, like, it's okay to share. <laughs> share with other people. Sometimes it's good. So um, I've preached before up here, and I've shared with you that from when I was four, God spoke to me about working for him. God spoke to me twice when I was four, actually. And the other one is a bit more painful to talk about. God also told me that I would adopt he told me that I would adopt a child when I was of age. And that is a promise that I know that God has made over my life. And yet it's not come to fruition. And yet it doesn't seem like it can come to fruition. I didn't know that at four that I would have fertility issues. <laughs> I didn't know that. God knew that though. Um, and God put a promise on my life. And I know that promise is true because it's of God. And I know it's a good promise. And I know that God loves me. But in my situation now, that's not a promise that's going to come true. God isn't waving that magic wand right now. Financially, no way could I do it. <laughs> I live on my own. And it's hard, isn't it, guys, sometimes? I'm not in a position where I can just take nine months off, which is required when you adopt, to look after a child. I'm not even sure that I'm emotionally in the right place. And that is painful. It's painful because I love kids. <laughs> and it's painful when people say, oh, you're a mother to so many people. No, I'm not, actually. I'm not. And it hurts. And I wanted to be real this morning, guys, to say that there is thorns in all of our lives. And that has been a good promise that I've had from four. I'm nearly 37. And yet it is a painful promise as well. There is pain in it because actually, I don't know, as I get older, as my situation doesn't really change financially, as I can't see how I would do it, it is so painful. And there is a thorn in my side. And yet God is good. And yet God doesn't abandon me in it. God has given me that promise. And maybe it won't look the way that I think it will look. But God will, will work. God works in our lives. He works for the good of those who love him. And so I can have hope. Not because I think magically God is going to turn everything around and by this time next year I'm going to have a baby. That isn't it. But I have hope because I know that my God sustains, that my God is full of grace and that he walks with me in everything, that I am not alone, that my strength is found in him and that the joy of the Lord is my strength. What is important is our relationship with the Lord. It's in the difficult times, it's in the times where we have that thorn that all that we can do is turn to him. All that can be done is to submit ourselves to him, to live in his grace. Let him be strong in our weakness. Let him be strong in our weakness. Um, Charles Spurgeon, I love, he, he's written a whole sermon on um, grace. And I would just encourage you to go and Google it and read it because it's really powerful. And in it, he says this, the riches of grace of God are infinite, beyond all limit, they are inexhaustible. 
They can never be drained. They are all sufficient. They are enough for every soul that e'er shall come to take of them. There shall be enough forever while earth endureth until the last vessel of mercy shall be brought home safely. I love that part at the end. Let's listen again. There shall be enough forever while earth endureth until the last vessel of mercy shall be brought home safely. Let me tell you, if all that I have said this morning is rubbish, and it could well be, I know this, and this I feel you need to hear this morning. People, we need to take it to heart. God's grace does not run out. God's grace does not run out. Maybe it feels like he has run out and it happens when it comes to you. But that's a lie that the enemy is saying. This needs to be cut off today. Don't give the enemy the satisfaction of believing that. God loves you. He wants to pour out his grace on you this morning. He wants to pour out his mercy upon us this morning. It does not run dry. Not for one single person that walks this earth. When Christ lives within us, we have strength and courage to face whatever we need to because of his grace that never runs out. Not till the last person goes home to glory. And um, worship team will just come. But what do we do when things don't change? How do we have hope? Actually, there's lots of things we can do. We can exercise hope, can't we? And exercising hope is not dwelling on the not-haves. It's not dwelling on the what-ifs. It's dwelling on the love of God. It's thinking of Christ and his grace being sufficient. It's leaning in rather than running away, which is by far the easier option. It's studying the word. All scripture is God-breathed, we learn in Timothy, and that is for a reason. It's not just, oh, the word, it's a nice story. It is God-breathed. It is his living word for us today. Take it to heart. We need to surround ourselves with the right people. We need to have people who rejoice with us when we rejoice and weep with us when we weep. We need to invest in our spiritual life, in being a part of church at home, of being a part of church, of having fellowship, of being in hubs with one another. And we need to serve Christ. Not just pick our moments when we want to serve him, but be sold out soldiers of the Lord. We need to strive to live for Christ, to live in the knowledge of the joy of the Lord is my strength. Recognising that it doesn't mean that everything's okay. It's okay not for it to be okay. But trusting God that he walks with us at all times. God said to Paul, and he says to us this morning, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He doesn't say, I'm going to make all things perfect for you right now. But he says... When we submit ourselves to him, when we become less of us and more of him, when we turn to him and rely on him and not our own strengths and abilities, he pours out his grace. He pours out his love. He gives us strength and courage to face it. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. We can have hope. God can and does move mountains. But even if his answer is no right now, 
He never leaves us to deal with it on our own. We're going to worship in a minute, but also I'm just going to ask people who pray, the prayers, I don't know, people who want to pray to come down um, and be at the front. And if this is you this morning, if you are feeling that hopelessness, if you feel like nothing's going right, if you feel that thorn in your side is winning at the moment over the grace of Christ, why don't you just come down and pray about it? Why don't you submit to God? Why don't you give it to him? When we give stuff to him, he says, give me... My burden is light. My yoke is easy. He wants to take the heaviness of what we've got going on in our lives and he wants to give us his lightness, his grace and his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we are not without hope. We thank you that you are our strength. And that when we are weak, you are strong, Lord. And that you make us strong in our weakness. Lord God, would we release the pain of those thorns this morning? Lord God, we know you can move mountains. And so we pray for those things to happen. We pray for miracles. We believe in the miraculous, Jesus. But we also know that sometimes that isn't going to come and that isn't going to happen. Lord God, would you help us to learn to live in that and yet not be without hope? Holy Spirit, would you come? Pam received a a word from you this morning, Lord, about raining down of the Holy Spirit and how we need to unblock it. Lord God, would you come now? Holy Spirit, would you come like a flood? We don't want a little sprinkling, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we want to be saturated by you, by your goodness, by your grace, God. Would you meet with us this morning as we submit ourselves to you, as we have hope in you, as our deliverer, as our sustainer, and as the one who truly loves us. Amen.